1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start reading with verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 1. We've been working our way through the letter of 1 Peter. And as we worked through chapter 1, we saw a, bu- saw a bunch of different things. We saw that this letter was written by the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to a group of Christians who are scattered throughout the area of modern-day Turkey. And he talks about the salvation that they have and then their response to it. And basically, they are recipients of God's mercy, and they are then to live holy lives and be holy as God is holy. In the last a couple of weeks, we talked about the holy life that God has for us. Uh, this next section begins to focus on who we are as the people of God. And there are a couple of things that are interesting as we look at this, because um, one of the things that we'll see here is that um, we have a place to belong, like we belong to God, and we have a purpose. And I was thinking about those two ideas, and it's just interesting, whenever you kind of find that in life, there's an opportunity to really thrive. Have you ever been in an environment where you felt like, hey, I belong here and I know what I'm supposed to do? Like I think of different scenarios in, in life where that shows up. Maybe it's like a workplace and just, you know, sometimes work is drudgery and there's lots of drama and problems and, and, and just conflict and those types of things. But every now and then, you know, things go pretty well and you figure out like, hey, I have an idea of what we're doing here as, as a group, as an organization, as a, as a team. I understand my place in it. I've got a, good, I've got a purpose and it, and it feels good. Anybody ever found that place? Like, the, just kind of like thrive there, right? Like, it's really fulfilling. It, feel, it feels right whole. You know, that, I mean, that could be even something like, like a sports team, if you, if you like playing sports growing up. Or for me, like I, I played music, and you play in a band, and it's like, hey, this is, this is cool. These are my people, and these are the people that I'm hanging out with. These are the people that I'm building relationships with. And when we get together, we come together for this purpose, whether it's playing music or winning a basketball game or whatever. And it's like, hey, I know what my job is. We're all connected with each other. We all work together. And we're, we're just kind of like driving and focused in on what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's really nice to find a place to belong and to have a purpose within that place. And what we see here in this passage is that as followers of Jesus, we do have a place to belong, and that's in God's household. That's part of God's family. We are God's people, and he has a purpose for us. And if we can align with that, if we can find that place and just um, come into alignment, then there is so much satisfaction and joy that God has for us as we do uh, what we're called to do and as we are what we are called to be. So the first thing we want to look at here is just want to remind you, and we, we talk about this, about this often, but um, God wants a people for himself. God decided to create humanity to share his life with them. It wasn't in a needy sense, like God doesn't isn't lonely. He doesn't need someone to make him feel better about himself or anything like that. But, but God, being a God of, of goodness and love, wanted to share that love with people. And so he created mankind. And over and over in Scripture, we are reminded that God wants us to be in relationship with him. We see statements like this everywhere throughout the Old Testament, and then it's repeated in the New Testament. He says things like this, I will live with them and walk among them, 
and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So God is um, looking at us as human beings, and he's saying, I, I, I want you to be with me. I want to share my life with you. I want to share my joy, my love with you. I'm the source of all good things, and I want to walk with you and be your God, and I want you to be my people. And so the question that we are seeing kind of posed in this text is, where do you stand in relation to Jesus Christ? Where do you stand in relation to God? So let's read this morning. We're going to start with chapter 2, verse 1. Just go back a little bit so we have an idea of the, the context here moving forward. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Excuse me. All right. As we get into this, we see a couple of things, uh, that we have a place to belong and there is a purpose for us. And he starts out by describing the people of God as a spiritual house. And we see that the believing community is the dwelling place of God. So verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. That's a, that's a mouthful. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of detail. One of the interesting things about this passage from verse 4 to, to verse 10 is there is an Old Testament verse behind every single idea here. There, that he is drawing on what God was doing with the people of Israel as God uh, made a people for himself in the Old Testament through whom he could bring the Christ. And he's saying, uh, you believers, all of you Gentiles out there who um, uh, were maybe being excluded, thought you were being excluded, you're not. God is bringing you into his household. And so he calls them a spiritual house and says, as you come to him, so this is like approaching Christ, we've put our faith in Christ, and now we are pursuing him, and he's called the living stone. And this is a reference to Psalm 118, verse 22. And the idea here is that uh, there 
is Jesus Christ, and he, he is alive, although he was crucified, he was raised to life, and he was rejected by men. And we see this in the Gospels, right? Jesus came, he proclaimed the good news, he said the kingdom of God is at hand, and he, he claimed to be God in the flesh. And the religious leaders, the, the Jews, they were, were not having any of that, no way, and they, they rejected him. But Jesus, it says, was chosen by God, he was selected by God, and he was precious to him. And this word precious, this is a reference to Isaiah 28, 16. And the idea behind this word precious is the idea of honored, something that is valuable, something that is worthwhile, something that is worthy of being exalted, something that is honored. I want you to just stick that in the back of your head, that every time you see this word precious in these next few verses, we're, we're talking about honor here. All right, so Jesus, he was rejected by men, but he's chosen by God and honored. And then it goes on to say that you also are living stones and that you're being built into a spiritual house. And there's this picture here of a building. And, you know, we don't necessarily build out of stone uh, regularly anymore. I know, I know it happens. It's, it's really beautiful when you see a nice stone building. Like, you ever uh, driven down 11, and I think it's just outside of Stanton, there's a stone church off on the right over there. Like, those kinds of buildings are really cool, and uh, that was the, the, uh, the standard way that you would construct a building, uh, just out of stones back in ancient Israel, back in ancient, the ancient world. And so the picture here is you as individual believers are represented by these stones, and you're being put together into a house for God. It says spiritual house, and the idea here is a house of the Holy Spirit. Like, we corporately, collectively are the house or the dwelling place of God. And sometimes we focus a lot on the individual side of that, like your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we think, how the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us when we put our faith in Christ. And that's true. But there's also a collective picture of this, that we are being brought together and assembled by God. Chris and Carol and Bob and Margaret, you guys are being brought together and assembled by God into God's dwelling place. And that means in your interactions with one another, in our interactions as a group with the outside community, we represent the dwelling place of God. God has taken up residence among his people, and we put that presence of God on display. And then there's this mixing of metaphors. So he says you're a spiritual house to be, or for the purpose of, a being a holy priesthood. So we've got this image, imagery from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, like the, the temple and the priesthood, and he says here that you're basically God's dwelling place and you're God's representatives. If you think about the uh, function of a priest in the Old Testament, they were basically a, a mediator between God and the people, and they would go and they would offer sacrifices before God on behalf of the people. And this is the idea, that we are God's representatives, and it says here that we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, these spiritual sacrifices, again, this word spiritual means things that are prompted by the Holy Spirit. Like, what is it that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do to offer up to God? 
And we see things like in the Old Testament where uh, the priests would offer sacrifices uh, for people because they had sinned. It was a, a sin offering. There were times when they would offer fellowship offerings to God. There were times where they would offer offerings of thanksgiving to God. There's all these different things that we, we come before God and offer thanks and praise, and we commune with Him. And these offerings are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And in other words, it's not because of our own merit, of our own ability. Like when we come and we, we present an offering to God, whether it's a word of praise or an act of service or whatever it might be, it's not necessarily because we're so great. It's we are able to approach God because of Jesus Christ and what He's done. And then we, through Jesus, offer these sacrifices to God. So then he continues this idea of the building, and he begins to talk about Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. We'll read on. It says, for the scripture says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. What's that word precious mean? Yes, thank you. Somebody, somebody listen. No, put you on the spot. Did you pass the test? What's that word precious mean? All right. So see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So let's talk about this idea of a cornerstone. When you built a building out of stone in, in the ancient world, you had to start with a cornerstone. And it was very important that that cornerstone was placed where it needed to be placed, and it was square, because it was based off that cornerstone that you were going to build the entire building. So you're going to go one direction that way and one direction that way, and you're going to go up. And everything is going to be based on the positioning of that stone. And God is saying here that, that Jesus, he's the chosen and honored one, is the cornerstone of the spiritual house that, that he's building, right? So we are in fellowship with Jesus as we're in fellowship with one another, and God builds us into his dwelling place. And we have this promise, and this is Isaiah 28:16. Every verse has an Old Testament passage behind it. Uh, the one who trusts in Christ will never be put to shame. So there's this contrast here between uh, the cornerstone being honored, and if you put your trust in him, you won't experience shame or disgrace, but you will also experience honor. Now we look at verse 7. And in our NIV translation, it says, now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. I um, want to offer an, another translation here. I think that the ESV, the English Standard Version, gets this a, a little better, gets the idea of this a little bit better. And it says this, so the honor is for you who believe. Remember, that word precious means honor. And, and the way that this is, is communicated, what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, is chosen and honored. If you trust in him, you won't be put to shame, but you will receive, verse 7, honor. This honor is for you. You are going to participate in the honor of Christ because you have put your trust in him. And he goes on to say, but for those who don't believe, that stone that the builders rejected, they looked at Jesus and said, we don't want to build on that. Well, that is the cornerstone of God's spiritual house. Jesus is the cornerstone of God's spiritual house. 
but he also becomes a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now, why, why is that? Well, he says here that they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. In other words, God is looking at Christ, and this is um, God's plan to make a people for himself. Mankind had walked away from God, and it's through Jesus that we were going to be reconciled to God. So God lays Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And where do you stand in relation to that cornerstone? That matters. Do you trust in him? And so you are gathered into God's spiritual house, God's dwelling place, or do you reject that cornerstone? And if you reject that cornerstone, then that cornerstone causes you to stumble and fall. It's like God placed it there, and you might trip over it. And we, we see people tripping over it all the time, right? Like people reject the message of Jesus. We see it in the ancient world with, with the Jews. They were looking for a mighty king to come in and save them from the Romans. They were looking for signs and wonders and power and all these kinds of things. The Greeks, Paul says, they were looking for, for wisdom, and they thought a crucified savior of the world, that was just foolishness. They couldn't understand that. And so they stumbled over the cornerstone that God had laid. They stumbled over Jesus. And they stumble because they disobey the message. And this phrase here, which is also what they were destined for, I think it's um, describing the, the stumbling. In other words, when you read this word destined, don't, don't take all the, the crazy, I shouldn't say crazy, but all the like, presuppositions of certain theological systems and import them into this word. Um, the idea has to do with positioning. Just as Jesus was positioned as a cornerstone, those who disobey, those who disbelieve, are positioned for stumbling. In other words, the group of people that have chosen to reject the good news, that have chosen to reject the message, God's destiny for them is stumbling. And so here we have this contrast between those who trust in Christ and they're honored, and those who do not trust in Christ and they are put to shame or they stumble, they fall, right? So this exaltation on the one hand with Christ or stumbling on the other, that God has appointed that those who trust in Christ will be exalted with him, and God has appointed that those who reject Christ are going to stumble. They're going to fall, all right? So Jesus, then, is the cornerstone of this spiritual house, and the house is being built on him. God's dwelling place is based on Jesus. He's the foundation. So those who trust in him will be honored with him, and those who do not trust in him will stumble. And then he looks at the people that he's talking to, you know, he's writing to them. I, I imagine he's just picturing them in his mind, and he says, but let me describe who you are again, because you guys have trusted in Christ. He talks about them as the believing community and describes what they're to be. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I know it's been a number of weeks since we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, but you might remember some of this language as we looked at the Old Testament background here. He's quoting from some ideas from the Old Testament. One of them is Isaiah 43. Look at how this is similar. He's talking about the people of Israel, and God is saying, I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, 
the people I formed for myself, that they may, may proclaim my praise. You see the connections here? We're repeating these ideas that the, the people of Israel were supposed to be a people that represented God on earth so that all the other nations would look to them and go, what, what's going on over there? And then they would come and Israel would be a witness to the goodness of God. That's the idea here. Now, Israel failed miserably at that, at that mission because they rejected uh, God. They, they, they just turned their backs on him. But that was the original purpose. If we look at when they were called out of Egypt in Exodus 19, uh, verses 5 and 6, God is reminding them. He says, I, bringing you, I, I brought you up out of Egypt. I rescued you. I saved you. Now, here's what I'm doing with you. He tells them in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You recognize that language? So this is the second time now that um, Peter has referred back to this passage in Exodus 19. He references it with um, verses 1 through 3. And then he comes back to this idea. He's thinking of these churches, these gathered believers, this believing community as the new people of God. And so what does he say about them? Well, these things. You're a chosen people. In other words, God looks at us and he, he, he chooses us. He selects us. He's, we are wanted by him. <clears throat> he calls them a royal priesthood. We are serving as priests in service to the true king of the universe, that God is the ruler of all. And as we worship and serve and represent him, we are representing the king of the world. And we are a holy nation. Uh, this idea of, of nation is, is a group of people that's united by a, a kinship, like we're related to one another. We share a culture. We share common traditions. There's a way that we do things here. We all recognize like we have an American culture, and if you go to a, a different country, you see a, a, a totally different culture at work. And he's basically saying, I, I am making you into a nation that is defined and characterized by holiness. Again, it, this is not a separate idea from what we just read last week, how we are to live a holy life, but it all flows. You are to be a holy nation. He says God's special possession. Now think about this. Again, we read in Exodus 19.5, but it's repeated over and over again that we are a treasured possession of God. He values us, and we belong to Him. There's this place that we belong. God wants us as His people, and we have a fit and a belonging in community with Him and in community with one another. And there is a purpose in all of this. And what is the purpose? It says this, <clears throat> that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the imagery here is of salvation. We think of the, the Israelites coming out of slavery in, from Egypt. And we were rescued from sin and darkness and evil. And we've brought in, been brought into the, the amazing, the marvelous light of God that we might declare his praises. We might have something to announce, something to report to the world around us. The praises of God, this word means like moral excellence. It's like 
character that is worthy of praise. It describes goodness. We look at something and say, hey, that's good, and we announce it to everyone else. And that's what we're to do with God. We recognize His mercy, we recognize His compassion, we recognize His love, and we say, hey, guess what my God does? This is, this is awesome. And we declare His goodness to the world. He, he goes on. So as, as His people, we experience His goodness and we declare His praises to the world. Um, and he goes on to, to just remind us that God is making us into his people and he's reconciling humanity to himself. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is looking at the people and he's bringing humanity back to him. And the Old Testament background of this is the book of Hosea. If you remember the story of, of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet of God. And Israel was wandering away from God. Israel had gone after other gods. Israel was distracted by other things and not focused on the God who had rescued them. And so God looks at Hosea as a testimony to Israel. He tells Hosea to go marry a promiscuous woman. And he marries Gomer, a prostitute. And there are a couple of children born to Gomer. And God tells Hosea to name these children in a way that symbolizes what Israel has done. And so two of the children, uh, one of them are named um, No Pity or No Mercy or No Compassion. Uh, the other one is named um, Not My People. And God is using this as a testimony against Israel. They have gone after other things. They haven't made him their primary desire and so he is bearing witness that they have turned away. But God promises to rescue his people and to redeem his people and to bring them back, to reconcile them to himself. So in Hosea 2.23, it says, I will show love, and the idea here is pity or mercy or compassion. I will show love to the one I called not my loved, and I will say to those called not my people, and again, he's referencing the people of Israel, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. So God is bringing people back into relationship. And what Peter is saying, just as God was doing this with the nation of Israel, he is also doing it with all of the world, all of humanity, that they were separated, they were not connected with God, they were outside of that relationship, and God is bringing them in. And He's going to have compassion on them. He's going to show them mercy. And he's going to make them a people of his own where they will say, you are my God. This is the big picture of what God is doing with humanity in the world. That God wants a people for himself. And even though we walked away, he still leaves the door open for us to return. And he is going out seeking and saving the lost. And so then as we think about well, what is my place? Where do I belong? And, and what is my purpose? We see it here in this passage that the community of believers is the dwelling place of God. God doesn't live in temples built by human hands. God doesn't live in church buildings where people gather once or twice a week. God lives in the community of his people as they go about life with him. In Christ, God is establishing a people for himself. 
And he calls that people a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. He says they're recipients of honor along with that chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. They're chosen, they're royal, they're holy, they're a treasured possession, and they're recipients of mercy. God has brought them back into his family. He wants a community that walks with him and proclaims his goodness on the earth. And this is what he's doing as he seeks to reconcile all people to himself. He says, I've reconciled you. Now I'm putting you into this spiritual house where I'm going to live. And as you go about life with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to put my goodness uh, on display. Basically, I'm going to show off my goodness in you. And that's going to result in praise and honor and glory for my name. And people will look at you and go, I want to see what that God is doing. Because the things I'm worshiping, the things I'm pursuing, that's destruction and death. But those people over there, they look alive. And I'd like to have some of that life. I'd like to have some of that hope. So the question is, as we think about our place, God is saying, I'm bringing you to me. You belong to me. And I have a purpose for you, and that is to to declare my praises as I continue my work to reconcile everyone to me, to bring everyone back into right relationship with me. And I want you to partner with me in sharing my goodness to everyone around you so that they can come and know the love and mercy and compassion of the living God. This is what we are to do as we serve one another, as we serve those around us. We are to represent him and put that goodness on display so that people would come into a living relationship with him. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. Lord, we appreciate just the richness and the depth of the message here, that you want us, that that you desire relationship with us, not just us individually, but us corporately together, and that you are assembling us into a place where you will live and put your goodness on display. So God, I pray that you would do that in us, Lord, that your love and your power and your might and your mercy would be on display in us so that people could look to you and find true joy and hope and everlasting life because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. God, I pray that you would do your work in us, that you would build us up, that we might represent you on the earth, that you would go before us in power, that we might share your goodness, and Lord, people would turn to you and be saved. God, we come to you because we belong to you. You have purchased us with the precious blood of Christ. And we offer ourselves to you for whatever it is that you would have us do, that you would receive all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.